Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. It's up to you. You do the work. You can have the life that you dream of. So I think the action step for me would be do something to make the change as opposed to, I had an old teacher, Jürgen, who used to say, you can either have what you want in life or all the reasons why you don't. Most people have all the reasons why they don't. And I leave you with this thought. Life is like a yardstick. This is what I taught my children. We all live life somewhere in the first two feet, 11 and three quarter inches. What life's about is the last quarter of an inch. Your beliefs keep you from dancing in the last quarter of an inch. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast from Fairfax in California, the USA, of course, Shelley Lefko, who's the co-founder of the Lefko Institute. And her clients are people who've struggled with changing longstanding behavior and emotional issues like procrastination, like fear of something or other, like relationship issues. And her approach frees them to live more joyful lives. So I'm really excited to dig into that. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Shelley. It's a real privilege to have Thanks, you as my Jordan. guest. Good to be here. Now, you're also the co-author of a fairly new book, Hitting the Wall. I hadn't, I wasn't aware of it until I started doing some research into you for backgrounding this podcast. And it's yeah. a fascinating book that we'll touch on as well today. Uh, but before we get into all of those things, into changing behavioral patterns and emotional beliefs and so on, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Shelley? My goodness. Um, well, the impact that I've been making for 35 years is helping people be free to live as the unlimited possibilities that they are. Um, and the other thing is, I think the impact beyond that is um, I, I love people. And so I think that every person that comes into my world, um, I try to make, you know, feel special and loved and um, cared about. Mm, fascinating. Uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things there that I'd certainly like to dig deeper. So you talked about unlimited possibilities, and I guess this touches on this idea of the limiting beliefs because we all have them don't we and we do. the typical ones i guess can be grouped as i'm not good enough or i'm not worthy um, or i'm not loved and you talked there about unlimited possibilities so tell us a little bit more about how how we can kind of just start to think about ourselves as we have unlimited possibilities and, and in fact, we are a limitless resource within ourselves. Yeah. So um, it's, it's really interesting what you just said. Um, at the end of our process, 
after you eliminate beliefs, and I'm going to talk about what a belief is and what I mean by that and all of that. But at the end of the process, I always say to people, you just eliminated between two to seven beliefs in a session. Where did those beliefs come from? And everyone says, I made them up. And I said, so you were here before those beliefs were. Notice, you created your beliefs, but your life is consistent with those beliefs. You know, all the things that are going on in the world, it's all about beliefs. You know, uh, Israelis have beliefs and Palestinians have beliefs and Russians have beliefs and, you know, everybody thinks they're right. Mm. So our beliefs determine our behavior, our emotions, and ultimately our reality. So if you create the beliefs that create your life, what you get to see is who you really are is the creator of your life. Who you are is the consciousness that creates the distinctions that will determine how your life turns out. In that space, what's possible? And everyone says, everything. Hmm. What limitations do you have in that space? None. That's who you are, and it's who we all are. So we all really are limitless possibilities. It's not some woo-woo, yeah. airy-fairy, you know, thought, you know, like, you know, you're going to sit and close your eyes and manifest. Mm. It's not that. It's we just are limitless possibility. And we created a creation called Jorgen or Shelley that has beliefs. And the beliefs are what limits us. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I love that you said it's not sort of some woo-woo thing that if we close our eyes and and think about it, it'll manifest itself, which is, I think, where, um, I'm just trying to think, the secret, the book, um, and, and all the hoo-ha that went around that seemed to be promoting this idea of just, visualize yes, that and it will happen whereas it's it's a lot more complicated than that isn't it um yes and i've got <laughs> you know it was interesting while i was reading through your book and i thought wow there's a bit of uh, serendipity here because i've got on one of my whiteboards here i've got a little flow chart that's been up there for i don't know how many years um but it's got a little green bubble that says beliefs with an arrow going to thoughts in a blue bubble with an arrow going to feelings in a red heart uh, with the feelings going to a black box called action with a feeling uh, with a an arrow going to outcome so essentially it's a flow chart I'm good as a scientist <laughs> as a flow chart of our beliefs drive our action uh, our outcomes uh, so Love. So I'm going to make a couple. That was brilliant, by the way. You just nailed it. Um, I want to make a couple of distinctions. People conflate two things, patterns and beliefs. So a pattern is observable. I There are behavioral patterns and emotional patterns. So a, a behavioral pattern is I procrastinate. Mm. Um, I don't speak up for myself. I um, uh, get into relationships that are not healthy. Those are patterns, Mm. behavioral patterns. Emotional patterns are I feel anxious all the time or I'm depressed um, or, you know, I feel um, uh, hopeless. Those are emotional Mm. patterns. And as you said in your little flow chart, the beliefs determine the thoughts and the thoughts determine the feelings. So I'm going to make another distinction. So first of all, a pattern is observable. I can see you procrastinate. I can see you being very anxious. Beliefs, and I'll explain this later, beliefs are not observable. Hmm. Beliefs are what underlie or cause the pattern. Hmm. You with me? Yeah. And this is why it's so difficult, right? Because we we can observe the pattern. We know, okay, I I procrastinate and I might be frustrated that I'm always procrastinating, 
but I can't observe the belief or I'm not necessarily aware of the belief that's underpinning that, right? Yeah, that now that's that's true, but that's not what I meant by not being able to observe it, mm. and I'll explain in a minute. But I want to make make one more <laughs> distinction, and then I'll separate all this as we talk. Beliefs are formed in the past, and again, as you said, which is the only reason I'm bringing it up because it was so good in your flowchart, beliefs determine the meaning, the thoughts, the meaning that you give events. So if I have a belief, uh, people are uh, dangerous and will hurt me, and somebody comes to give me a hug, I'm going to give it the meaning that person's going to hurt me. Hmm. I have to be careful, and then I'm going to feel anxious or trepidatious or something, right? If I have a belief dogs are dangerous and a dog comes into the room, I'm going to give it the meaning that dog's going to hurt me and then I'm going to feel fear. Now, you can get rid of beliefs by doing the work that I'm going to explain. Mm. And that takes some doing, you know, you know, you have to put some time in. However, I talk about in my book there's a way to get rid of those negative emotions in the moment mm-hmm. by getting rid of the meaning you're giving the event. Mm. So all of our emotions come from the meaning we give events and meaning is in your mind. Mm. Events have no inherent meaning. Okay. All right. Well, Getting rid of the emotion then, so I'm, I'm guessing from the way you expressed that, that that's a lot quicker and easier to do than, than identifying what's the limiting belief behind that and working on changing that belief. So tell us a little bit more on, because that sounds like triage and, and the, yeah. then... Oh, you're so brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Rarely does somebody get it like this. So this is great. That's very great. Yes, it's triage. That's so good. Um, And that's the point, Jürgen. If you don't get rid of the beliefs, you have to keep doing Mm, the triage, getting rid of the meaning, because you're going to keep giving it meaning, right? So ultimately, you want to get rid of a belief. Now, what is a belief? A belief is a statement about reality that you hold as the truth. Mm. So it's not like iffy. It's I believe this, and it's the truth. There's no discussion. 30 years ago, when we started doing this, my husband, my late husband, created this process on a plane going to looking at why do people know what to do and don't do it? Everybody knows we should eat healthily and exercise. And they don't. We do things we know we shouldn't do, and we do them anyway. Mm. You know, we um, go into a relationship going in knowing that it's just not the right relationship. And he was fascinated with why is that? You know, we're all smart enough to know better. Why do we do that? And so he was journaling and he just came up with this process and he came up with the idea that it's your beliefs. When people used to ask me what I do, and I said, I help people eliminate the beliefs that cause their suffering, they said, beliefs? You mean like religious beliefs? They didn't know what I was talking about. Today, everybody's talking about beliefs. Why it is seems so hard to get rid of them, and I know that I'm you know, speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs and you know, business consultants and like, why is it I tell people what to do and they say, oh yes, that's a great idea. They pay me and then they don't do it. Like, why is that? And I'll tell you why a lot of what people do to get rid of beliefs don't work. You can write it on a piece of paper and burn it. You can stand in front of a mirror going, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough. You can tap and maybe, you know, I don't know, 
it's a crapshoot. When we come into this world, we don't know if we're good enough or not good enough. We don't know if we're important or not. We don't know if life is hard or easy. We don't know if money is scarce and hard to get or not. We don't even know that there is such a thing as failure. Mm. That's a made-up concept, yep. right? So every little child asks the same question all day long. And I don't care if they're in Australia, New Zealand, or America. It's the same. You know what the one question is that every little three-year-old asks Why? all day long? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? Why can't I have dessert? Hmm. Why do I have to do my homework? Why can't I go out and play? Why do you have to go to work? Why can't I have sugar? Why is the sky blue? Why? So if you are criticized as a child, why? Well, I guess I'm not good enough. If you don't get any attention and your parents are looking at their iPhone while they're talking to you, you're going to conclude, hmm, why are they not giving me their attention? I guess I'm not important. Why are mommy and daddy struggling and complaining and they can't pay the bills and they work so hard? Well, I guess money is scarce and hard to get. And I guess you have to work hard to make a lot of money. And I guess life is a struggle. And here's why the beliefs stay with us throughout all the tapping and the affirmations and everything else. Because we think we saw our beliefs in the world. You, it is impossible to not believe something you think you saw. Hmm. So if somebody said, Jürgen doesn't wear glasses, I'd say, yes, he does. Oh, no, he doesn't. I'm telling you, I've known him forever. He doesn't wear glasses. He does. And I saw him wear glasses. So don't tell me he doesn't, <laughs> right? It feels like we saw I'm not good enough. Now, anything you could see has a color, shape, and location. Yes? Yeah. You can't see I'm not good enough. That's what I meant when I said you can observe a pattern, but you cannot observe, you cannot see a belief. You cannot see life is hard. You see your parents struggle mm. or your neighbors all struggling in a inner city or in a economically challenged neighborhood. You can see your parents ignore you, not ignore you. You can see your parents not be there, not give you attention. You can see not getting affection from your parents, but you can't see I'm not lovable. Hmm. I guess one of the things, and, and you're coming back to, or you're going to the cause or where do the beliefs come from? How do they get formed? And when do they get formed? I guess in those situations, young children find it very difficult to step back and say, well, just because my parents are on the iPhone all the time and not giving me attention right now, or just because I'm not allowed to do X, whatever X is, not allowed to have sugar, let's say, um, doesn't mean they don't love me. The, the, the meaning we assign to that and this is something as I get older now, I say, okay, I've observed something um, and I'm a lot more conscious about, I will draw a conclusion like that, but then I'm a lot more conscious about stepping back and saying, hang on, what other meaning can I assign to that? We don't do, we don't, most children don't do that, right? First of all, that's accurate. First of all, your Survival depends upon your parents, number one. So if they're wrong, you're in trouble. Number two, they're so big and they can 
do everything. They can drive, they can earn a living, they can, you know, they know everything. They must be right. Because if there's something wrong with my parents, I'm in trouble. So it must be me. Mm. So it does, and that's number one. Number two, your parents are the world. There, you come into this little world for five years before you ever go to school, and your parents are everything. You know, I work with people every day of my life who go, "Oh, men are hmm. men are selfish. Men leave. Men, you know, have no integrity. Men, you know." No, your father didn't. Yeah. Women, you know, women can't be trusted. You know, no, your mother cheated on your father, <laughs> but women can't be trusted, you know, isn't true. But that's the generalization, the generalizations we make as kids. I have a young grandchild and we've had some really interesting conversations and, you know, he'll say something you know, he once threw, not accident, well, it wasn't accidental. He pushed his friend, and they live in Hawaii, and he pushed his friend and he fell off the lanai, you know, the balcony. Mm. And he could have really gotten hurt. We were very, very, very lucky. He didn't. But all the parents were like freaked out and, oh my God, and what did you do? And what were you thinking? And I mean, it was terrifying, mm. you know. And I was in the car with him and I asked him a question and he said something. And I said, why do you think you don't deserve to have that, honey? And he said, um, I'm bad. And I said, where did you? And I did the, my process with him, yeah. you know. And I said, sweetheart, you know, one interpretation is you're bad. Another interpretation is everybody in the whole world makes mistakes and does things that they didn't mean. We all do things that we say, oh my God, I wish I didn't do that. And if you learn and grow from it and think next time, it's just something that happened. And so I said to him, did you ever see I'm bad? And he said, yes. And I said, what color is I'm bad? And he looked at me and he goes, oh, I saw me push my friend off the balcony. And where was I'm bad? I made that up. And, you know, with grownups, I take it the step further and I say, what does it mean? What do we know for sure? Because you did that. And it's not that it didn't have consequences, but it has no meaning. Now, I didn't do that with him, but I said to him, it doesn't mean anything about you that that happened. Because mm. you can't tell kids events have no meaning that would yeah. not sit well because they can't make the distinction between mattering and meaning. Mm. So it matters to me that my husband died. I feel very sad that he died and I hate it, but it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I'll never be happy again or I'll never love again, or I'm going to starve to death. Events have no meaning. And that was very powerful, but that's what they do. They generalize. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we all do that and we, we still do it even, even at our age, right? not just as children. I guess one of the things that brings up is at what stage can we consciously, and how do we do this, start to challenge ourselves in terms of beliefs or maybe even a step before that, how can we um, look at a behavior that's frustrating us, a behavioral pattern that's frustrating us? And so what beliefs underpin that? What could be the beliefs that underpin that and then start to challenge those? Well, I'm going to give you, your listeners, um, a gift, which is uh, access to eliminate a belief for free. But the first step of just saying, I wonder what I believe that has me do this, takes you out of victim mode. Hmm. Just that. This one's doing it to me. That one's doing it to me. Oh, God, it's never going to change. 
Well, if it's beliefs, I can do something about that. So mostly you can hear your belief um, in your brain. So I did um, a video today on uh, all the social media platforms and it's about, I'm stupid. So what must I believe to think that I can't do something? Well, I'm stupid or I'm not capable or I don't have what it takes or the ever popular, I'm not good enough. When you say the words of a belief that you have, so everybody listening, take a deep breath and say out loud, I'm not good enough. Now say, I'm a monkey. So when you say, I'm a monkey, that either feels silly or it feels flat. Hmm. When you said, I'm not good enough, did that feel the same or different? And if you're like most people, you'll say it feels different. Hmm. So the first way you know you have a belief is it doesn't feel good when you say it. Because if you didn't believe it, it would feel like just words. I worked with somebody today and... Um, Sometimes I will say what the belief is if they don't know right away. But so the first step is it's logical. Second step is you can listen to your little voice in your head. Every time you make a mistake, what do you say to yourself? Mm -hmm. Oh God, I'm so stupid. Yeah. Right. So when I asked this man to say, I'm not capable, tears came into his eyes and he said to me, that's painful. After the belief went away, I said, take a deep breath, say, I'm not capable. And he has a smile on his face and he goes, I'm not capable. That's silly. Mm -hmm. The belief that is one of the only beliefs that will guarantee to bring tears to someone's eyes, if they have it, is I'm not worth loving. And there are people who cannot even say those words. It's so painful and I don't make them, but I let them see how difficult it is to even think about saying it. And when the belief goes away, they can say it. Mm. So that's the first way you can know you have a belief. You know, I wrote this book um, and, you know, I was the, um, what's the word? Um, I want to say resistant entrepreneur. You know, I love people. I work with people. I could speak to thousands of people. I can do workshops with people, but run a business, <laughs> shoot me in the head. Um, and when my husband died, that's what I got to do. And um, somebody heard me speak at a conference and he's a serial entrepreneur. And he said, and he's, he's an attorney, he owns um, a law firm and um, entertainment company. And he said, that's why my clients don't listen to me. It's beliefs. Hmm. Let's write a book on entrepreneurship. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> so we did. And in the book, it has all the patterns that entrepreneurs have. And it's, an, you know, fear of fe failure, hmm. you know, procrastination, fear of pulling the trigger on a new product, um, uh, you know, even starting your new business. Um, I had a client once who, whose parents told him, being an entrepreneur is dangerous. Having a job and a salary is safe. And he wanted to start his own business. So he called me, we got rid of the beliefs started his own business about literally 10 years later, he called me and I said, oh my God, how are you? And he said, I'm really good. He said, but I need your help. I said, oh, what's, what's up? And he says, my business is worth $25 million and I want to buy out my partner and I have something in the way. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a success. Yeah. <laughs> Great story. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned the word success there, and you um, 
I think it's the last chapter of the book where you talk about success and, and what is success and actually reframing success in a way that, um, because there's another limiting belief, right? A really common limiting belief is, oh, I'm not successful because I don't have a, a company that's worth 25 million and I don't have a partner that I can buy out. So we're always comparing ourselves with somebody else that isn't necessarily a valid comparison as a means of determining are we successful or not. And I love the way you reframe success in there. So talk to us a little bit more about that whole concept of success. It's my favorite chapter in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to start the reframe, Jürgen, by saying, by asking a question to everybody. If you had a lot of plants in your house, would you ever water just one? Hmm. Obviously, no, because all the other ones would die. And yet, we think this plant called success in business or you know financial success is one is the one most important plant. Our bodies and our health, which are going to take us through our whole lives, our relationships, which nurture us and make our lives worth living, you know, having fun and playing pickleball like I do, um, which is the most fun thing in the world, (laughs) isn't, that's not important, you know, just this one. So for me, I have worked with so many workaholics and none of them get on and go, oh, I don't want to work on, I don't want to work on workaholism. I'm so joyful and happy. <laughs> they don't. I had one client, which I wrote about in the book because he said it so perfectly. He called me and he said, um, I need your help. And uh, someone had sent him to me and I said, what's your problem? And he said, I am on the cover of business publications. I'm worth $10 million. This was many years ago. Um, My second wife is ready to divorce me. I don't know my kids. I keep promising I'm going to go to their events, and I don't. When is it going to be enough? And I said, never, because it's never going to make you good enough. It's never going to make you important, and it's never going to make you happy. Hmm. And this other client, very similar uh, story, moved, took his kids and his wife, moved to England, got a a job where he was home. And he used to text me from his kids' sporting events going, look, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) And and he's very funny because um, this is actually someone else who used to come into my sessions with a tie. And for some reason, it looked like he was choking him. And he had this look on his face, like he was so miserable looking. And he started off, he had a fear of public speaking. We got rid of the fear of public speaking. And then he said, you know, I sold my company to a big bank and I have a payout deal. So he got a big lump of money. And then the rest of it comes with his five years of service to the company. And he was miserable. So we eliminated the beliefs that made him stay. And he started a company uh, called Local We, where he supports local people, um, local products, you know, people who make local Mm. products. um, And and it's like an Amazon, uh, an e-commerce site. And he sends me a picture of him at home in a sweatsuit working with this big smile on his face. And he says, and under it, it says, the happiest man in the world. (laughs) So in my slide presentation, when I speak, I always show him before and after. (laughs) And of course, the point being, a successful life is a life where you feel joyful. Hmm. A successful life, when my husband died, I was in a car, after he died, I was in a car accident. And I was in a facility for six weeks. I broke lots of stuff. And my claim to fame 
is I never in six weeks ate their food. My friends brought me food from Whole Foods every day so that I could eat good food and not have to eat institutionalized crap. Hmm. I think that's a life worth living. You know, um, having a friend, Marcy Shymoff, who called me and said, who came over the night my husband died and said, I will be there for you to remind you that you can always have fun in life, that you could still be happy. I looked at her, I said, are you crazy? She wrote a book called Happy for No Reason. And every couple of months, she would call, every couple of weeks at the beginning, she would call me and say, I have tickets to see Diana Ross, or we're going to see the Beach Boys, or we're going to see... And she would make sure that I had a life where I can experience being happy again. Hmm. And when you look at your life... Are you watching your kids grow up? Are you involved? Are they going to have memories of you being present or not there? Are you going to have memories of your kids being young and your relationship? Hmm. Are you going to look at your relationship with your partner or your spouse and go, that was hot and juicy. You know, that was a, an alive, vibrant relationship. Are you going to say, I came, I had a blast, and I'm out of here? Or are you going to come and say, are you going to say, I came, I made $60 million, and I'm gone? No one cares. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I had, I had an experience where I thought it was the end of my life. Um, it was actually an aircraft flight where there was a bomb on the aircraft that we were told about and my very first thought in that moment when I realized this could be the end was uh, actually I was heading back from a business trip to meet my family for a vacation that we'd planned for a little while my very first thought was oh damn I'm going to miss the vacation <laughs> and then I kind of I had this short moment of wow that's that's a funny thought and then I got serious again of course and my very next thought was I'm not going to see my children grow up so I reflect back on that and I think well you know that's the that's what's important to me if you're in that situation well it all ended well obviously because I'm here obviously, <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 that's Profound, hmm. because nobody ever in that situation ever says, God, I could have made one more million dollars. So that's not, a, and being a successful entrepreneur or business person can mean making an impact. I love your first question. What impact are you making? Yeah. Empowering people. Hmm. What else is there? Yeah. You know, if I can help somebody live a better life, hmm. that's juicy. Yeah. <laughs> and so satisfying, I imagine. Very. Hmm. Very. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's little things like that. Um, I had just a little thing, and I noticed also in some of my research that you're a keen photographer, so you'll appreciate this little story. Um, we ran a photography exhibition last weekend and as we were getting organized and putting up all the photographs so we asked people if they're willing to sell the photographs and there was a young chap still at school 17 18 years old had submitted four photographs they, they were stunning photographs and he would put a price on them and i looked at them oh god that's far too low and everybody else who was there said oh that's far too low um, and then um, I said to the lady who was running it, I said, you know, we ought to have a chat to him. And she actually called him and had that conversation the night before the exhibition opened. And then she called me and said, oh, he needs some advice. What, what do you suggest we charge? So I kind of had a bit of a thought about it. And we ended up 
uh, quadrupling the price that he'd initially asked, even though he had the limiting belief that nobody would buy them. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, nobody might buy them anyway. Uh, so up to you whether you stick with, with what you had. But, you know, in my view, they're fantastic photos. I would quadruple the price. He ended up quadrupling the price. He sold four, four copies of one of the photos and he sold, I think he sold two copies of another and then one of all the others. <laughs> and I thought, great? well, you know, there's, there's something. I mean, I, it was kind of a little throwaway episode but had That's such an impact great. on someone. Mm. Totally. Mm. Totally. And that will create a possibility for Exactly. Them. Yeah. It's not about the money. It's, it's about the belief that, hey, what I do great. is worth something to beautiful. others. Mm. Wonderful. That's beautiful. Mm. All right. Well, it's a fascinating conversation. We could go on talking beliefs and changing beliefs for ages, but I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation around the same five questions I ask of every guest. And we've probably touched on some of these themes, but we'll see if you can give us something inspiring to uh, get the listener to do something awesome today as a result. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Get rid of the belief mistakes and failures are bad. And if I make a mistake or fail, I'll be rejected. And what makes me good enough is having other people think well of me. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot in that, a lot to unpack. I've, um, I've started going back a little bit to my uh, student days and my training. So I'm a trained scientist, a chemist, and we used to run experiments in the laboratory and the experiment was basically, here's the hypothesis. Here's what we'll do to test the hypothesis. Oh, it didn't work. Okay. Next hypothesis. Here's what we'll do to test that new hypothesis. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. Here's the next one. And I thought, I'll just reframe it like that. And then, because then you're detached from the outcome. And that's what I use as an example after they eliminate the belief. I say, you know, one interpretation is mistakes and failures are bad. Another interpretation is, and and that belief comes from school, comes from parents too, but school, big red X's, right? You know, when you get something wrong and there's a right answer and it's everything to kill innovation, but a scientist can't cure cancer without failing. Mm. <laughs> you, can't, you can't invent anything without failing. You can't be innovative. I always use the iPhone as an example. I say the first one had an antenna that broke. Yeah, yeah. And Johnny Ives said, yeah, that's not going to work. So they did the iPhone too. And now they're up to the iPhone, I don't know, 15. Mm. You know, So they don't sit there and go, oh God, I'm so stupid. I had an antenna. <laughs> they just fix it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. All right. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Ooh. Collaborate. Yeah, I'm not somebody who could sit at my desk and just come brainstorm. I'm I'm very relational. Hmm. So collaboration would have to be Yeah, and the story you told about how the book came about is a good example of that. Totally. That's a great question. <laughs> I love that question. That's really good. I, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next one's kind of could be anything. What's a favorite resource you use most often? Resource I use most often. People. Hmm. I thought you might say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the collaboration part. Yeah. All right. Now, the next one, we've, we've kind of talked around. Oh, wait. I want to say one more. Gratitude. Mm. Gratitude. I do all kinds of gratitude practices. And, um, yeah, I, I find being in a state of gratitude. Somebody, um, I have mindfulness cards that I send to my daughters every morning. We've been through a few packs. Um, and one of them uh, said, 
you can't be grateful and worry at the same time. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. So what? Yeah. yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the gratitude practice. What What are some of your favorite techniques there? Because I've started to really focusing in on that, at particularly at any time where something is frustrating me or something. I kind of step back and say, "Well, hang on, I've got so much to be grateful for," and then focusing on that. We just did my uh, Rodney, uh, who works with uh, with me. Um, we read this book called Super Better, and it's how to turn your uh, gratitude and your life into a game. Mm-hmm. And there's something called power ups, and you kind of she gives you some ideas. It's Jane McGonigal. She's a big gamer. She has a TED Talk, and um, and um, and you use power-ups to put yourself in a more positive state. But for me, the thing that works, it just, I don't know, it just works, Jurgen, is for me to, anytime I get upset or I feel sorry for myself or I'm frustrated, whatever it is, after I use the occurring, which is getting that the meaning is mm-hmm. not in the events, it's in my head, I close my eyes and I look at what I'm grateful for and um, I imagine the face of the people I love. It's the first thing I do. And the second thing I feel very grateful is when I look at what's going on in the world, you know, that I'm not a woman in the Middle East, that I don't live, you know, in Israel, that I'm Jewish, but People don't know I'm Jewish, you know, whereas if you're African-American, they know Hmm. you're walking down the street and a hater could could hurt you. But, you know, so I look at what's out there and what I have and that, you know, here's a practice that I teach my clients that I love. Look left, look right. I look left and I go, oh, God, I lost my husband and or I look right and go, thank God, I have friends and a full life. Thank God I'm healthy and I can go play pickleball and do and hike for five miles and do fun things. So I look right and I see that, you know, look left. Oh God, I don't have enough money to retire. And, you know, I can't, and you just, where I live is very, very expensive. Or I could look right and say, I have a business that's doing well during COVID. I have enough money to do the things I want. I look left. My daughter lives in Hawaii and I can't get to see her. And then I look right and I go, I can afford to go to Hawaii every three months. And I have a job where I can work Mm. there. I can work any place. So I look at what I'm grateful for by looking right, not left. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love the the reframes, the examples too. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have touched on this next one a bit, but um, maybe you've got some tips for us that, that can be encapsulated really well. What's the best way to keep a client on track? Wow. That came out of left field. I love that. So I'm going to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was just talking about this to one of my clients today. The best way to keep your client on track is to serve them by not letting them not be off track. So I have clients sometimes, so my process is very results oriented. Okay. And it's, if you answer this question to this question, I will take you to the promised land. So when people talk a lot, you know, I get the information I need and I go, okay. And they want to talk and tell me their story. And I say, stop. I have what I need. And if they keep talking, I say, listen to me, if you want to talk, go to therapy. And you can sit there and talk and talk and talk and talk. Not here. 
This client once said to me, I said, she, this woman called and she's not sure what to work on and blah, blah, blah. And I said, why did you call? And she says, well, my husband told me to call. And then she said something. And I said to her, that's your work. And she said, well, that didn't make me feel good about myself. And I said, I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to help you change your life. Now, I had to eliminate beliefs to get to the place where I am. I had to get rid of the belief, what makes me good enough is having other people think well of me. I'm not interested in what they think of me. I'm interested in serving them. That is my highest Hmm. wish, to serve and make a difference in people's lives. So keeping your clients on track is telling them, you hired me. I need you to do this. If you do that, it's not serving you. And be honest with them. And, And if you're afraid to say that to a client, then you need to eliminate beliefs. Yeah, yeah. It's um, fascinating, isn't it? I, um, I don't know who first said this, but I'm sure it's been said many times, is what other uh, people think of you is none of your business. And <laughs> if you can actually adopt that belief, then it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Yes, and. Yes, and. It isn't... When you get rid of that belief, I, if one of my, one of my friends, um, this is a great example, actually. I had a friend and a client today. I hadn't heard from her in a long time. And I emailed her and I said, what's up? I miss you. What, you know, what happened? And she said, she emailed back and she said, you said something that really had me get triggered mm. and I kind of been sitting with it. And I said, you didn't tell me? I So we had a Zoom call on my lunch hour and I said, what? And she told me and I said, oh my God, because I worked with her husband and anyway. And I said, I am so sorry that I said that and you were hurt because of it. And so it isn't that I don't Mm. care. It's not that, that it's not about what she thinks of me. It's about the relationship is not clean. Yeah. It's, there's a difference between taking responsibility for the impact you have on other people. Right. And totally like, I'm going to do everything I can to have other people like me. Yeah, but but here's the distinction I want to make. I had a friend, first time in my whole life, that told me I don't want to be your friend anymore. And I was really devastated. I was like, oh my God. I felt sad that that happened. But I no longer define myself by it. Mm. It doesn't mean anything about me. That's the difference. So it's not that it's my business or it's not my business. or And I appreciate the sentiment of that. But if somebody doesn't think well of me, I, I may care, I may not care, I may want to know, I may not want to know, but it never means I'm not good enough anymore. Yeah, doesn't, def- doesn't mean there's something wrong with me. not part of your identity, yeah. yeah. Not everybody's going to like me. I am, and everybody listening... Not everybody's going to like you. You are not everybody's cup of tea. And everybody's not your cup of tea. But that doesn't mean you're not good enough. Yeah, which is kind of an almost a good lead into the next question, the final question of the buzz round. What's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Be authentic. Hmm. Just... Be yourself. I mean, I think that's an interesting question, Jürgen. Everybody is unique Mm. and different. And what you do is interesting, maybe. 
who you are inspires people. And be interested. Hmm. That's listen. Yeah. Be interested, not interesting. And that will differentiate you. <laughs> people will go, oh my God. I met somebody today who actually listened when I talked. You know. Yeah, that's right. It's it's funny. I always I always share this almost in some context in every podcast. It's a great way to draw to a close. At my husband's memorial, I had a hundred people. And I'd say at least half of them shared before I kind of shut it down because it was would have went on all day. And what they said was he was the most loving man they ever met. He was non-judgmental. Two people said, I knew him 40 years and I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. Someone said, he was the most present person when you talked to him. He was just present with you. Someone else said, he made me feel special. My daughter said, I not only knew I was loved unconditionally every day of my life, but to never feel judged. That was my dad. They talked about who who he was, mm. that's what differentiates you. Who you are, not what you do. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That was very special. Probably the, the uh, best answer I've had to that question ever. Wow, thank yeah. you. All right. Well, Thank thanks you. so much for sharing your time and your insights today, Shelley. This has been wonderful. Now, where can people find out more about you, get a hold of your book, Hitting the Wall, and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you shared today. Yeah. So Hitting the Wall, um, uh, eliminate the beliefs that sabotage your business and your life. You can get on Amazon. We have a website, hittingthewall.net. Um, you can also go to recreateyourlife.com and you can eliminate a belief for free. Sorry, eliminate beliefs, sorry, eliminatebeliefs.com, different, eliminatebeliefs.com. Um, and, and the book will actually take you through the process so you can go through the steps mm. as well. And it'll give you all kinds of examples of patterns and beliefs that underlie the patterns. So you'll have a good sense of looking at what where your patterns are and what your beliefs are. So that's what the book is really, really good for. And the final thing is Lefko Institute, L-E-F as in Frank, K-O-E, institute.com. Excellent. Well, we'll have all those links in the show notes, of course. Now, what action would you like our listener to take out of our conversation today? I always like to wrap up with this and say that it's hopefully been very entertaining and informative for the listener, but what action are you going to take listener out of today's episode? So what would you like to see the listener do? Well, it feels self-serving and it's not, but by the book, mm. I mean, you, there is no one that doesn't have these beliefs and to take stock of your life and any place where you feel like a victim, you know, you can just stop and know that it's up to you. Hmm. You do the work, you can have the life that you dream of. So I think the action step for me would be do something to make the change as opposed to, I had an old teacher, Jürgen, who used to say, you can either have what you want in life or all the reasons why you don't. <laughs> Most people have all, have the, all reasons. the reasons yeah, why yeah, they yeah. don't. And I hold. And I leave, you with this, I leave you with this thought. Life is like a yardstick. This is what I taught my children. 
we all live life somewhere in the first two feet, 11 and three quarter inches. What life's about is the last quarter of an inch. Hmm. I love it. I love it. All right. Your beliefs keep you from dancing in the last quarter of an inch. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. That's a wonderful call to action. And I'd certainly endorse um, the listener to check out the book on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. And um, it's certainly a worthwhile addition to any library. So thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today, Shelley. I've really enjoyed the conversation and uh, all the best for the future. And let's stay in touch. Thanks. Yes, let's. I loved the conversation. It was just amazing. It went so fast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash Flywheel and secure your membership to the exclusive Flywheel Nation community, where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engaging meaningful conversations, and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywheel Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from Innova Biz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.